I'm so excited today to um, introduce you to our, uh, our guest speaker uh, today, Justin Martin. I'm so honored to have you today. Uh, your your life story is so inspiring, so I can't wait to get into that. And of course, we have our co-host, uh, Danny Sinnett. Uh, this is our second, our second session. And uh, again, a uh, privilege to have you part of our journey here with the uh, conversation with GNG. And uh, look forward to uh, talk all about change and resilience. Yeah. And of course, we have Giselle here, Hello. my partner. Hi, everyone. The second G of uh, the show name. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Sounds like we're getting ready to get on the horses, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Yeah, well, speaking about get, getting up, I think what an honour it is to have Justine with us today. She's a resilience transformation coach, international keynote speaker, a book author, and a podcast host known as the Queen of Resilience. And I'll tell you what, Justine Martin is, as Gio said, our special guest today. And uh, boy, are you in for a treat. She's got an incredible story. And we're going to be hearing a lot more about that. So welcome, Justine. So great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Such a pleasure of being here. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Very good. So Justine, you know, resilience is a huge topic, especially when we think about you know, life and the unexpected twisters and twisters. That's great English, isn't it? It's <laughs> already um, twists and turns that it, it takes, you know, especially during change and transition. And you've certainly had a lot of that in your journey. I um, have. Would you be happy to just sort of frame that up in a nutshell for us? Because I think people are going to really understand why you're on the show today when we're talking about change and yeah. resilience. So... I have, I like to say that I've got two lives, one that started uh, when I was born in 1971, so work out how many years, <laughs> how many uh, years old I am, and then it changed in 2011. Now, my mum had MS, she was diagnosed in um, about 1981, I was around 9, 10 years of age, but she had breast cancer before that, and she got cervical cancer and then lung cancer, so there was a lot of um, trauma and building resilience as a teenager and as a child uh, there with her and being her carer. And then in March 2011, so I'm coming up to my 13th year of being diagnosed myself with multiple sclerosis. Then in 2013, 14 and 15, I underwent heart surgeries. And you think that would uh, be enough. And then in 2016, I started going purple with a condition called libido reticularis. I look like a zombie, so my kids thought it was great. I was the walking dead. <laughs> Mum was turning into a zombie. We tried to make light of it all. That then led me to being diagnosed with melanoma um, in the September when they were looking for lymphoma. Then I got diagnosed later that year with mixed cryoglobulinemia, so all my internal organs were being choked off with too much protein in my blood, which then, so that was in the December, um, they knew that I had lymphoma, they just didn't know what type. And then in the January 2017, I got diagnosed with chronic lymphocystic leukaemia and small lymphocystic lymphoma. So effectively, I had three primary cancers, two blood conditions and the MS all at the same time. Then I got diagnosed in 2018 with lipid. Uh, lipedema, which is a genetic um, condition that's also known as painful fat syndrome that is 
uh, quite prevalent in the media at the moment as well. Um, and my mum had it, my auntie's got it. There's quite a few of us in the family with that. Um, and then 2020, unfortunately, I was the victim of um, domestic violence. Again, had um, bones broken um, and I'm still dealing with that. And then in 2022, I found um, my last partner dead on the floor. So there hasn't been... Um, yet to find um, an adversity that I haven't faced. So, you know, broken marriages, um, uh, illness, facing death, you name it. Um, I've pretty much been through it in my 53 years on Sunday. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. That's, that's it in a, in a nutshell. So in 2011, I was told that I would never work again. Um, yet here I am now uh, as the current Geelong um, Business Excellent Awards Business Leader of the Year, successfully running seven businesses. How many? Seven. Seven <laughs> businesses. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you've really lived life as a, a carer, looking yes. after mum, mm-hmm. and you've also experienced things personally as well. That's right. So what are some of the, you know, we're talking to our carers out there, what are some strategies that you use very early on and then maybe had to adapt as time went on in terms of developing resilience in those particular situations? Um, Self-care. I think self-care is probably the number one huge thing and we don't do enough of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not selfish to be looking after your self-care. You know, the, the oxygen theory mask oxygen mask theory I should say um is something that we should all live by carers non-carers everyone if you are not looking after your own needs first then you cannot look after anyone else in your life um and whether that is just taking five or ten minutes out in the day to go for a quick walk and get some fresh air um or read a magazine take a whole bubble bath it doesn't have to cost much money to actually include self-care into your life so definitely that would be the number one thing um and seek support as well and there are places now that you can get support from whereas when I was a carer there wasn't anywhere I felt very very alone but you've got to reach out for that support as well you can't expect people to support you if you're not reaching for that support and to me as someone who's now disabled as well, um, to ask for help has been a big, big change. Um, And I now see help as a sign of independence and asking for help is a sign of strength, never a sign of weakness. So when you change your mindset like that, life becomes a lot easier. So powerful. So you're seeking for help. It's a sign of strength, yes. not a sign of weaknesses. Always. How good is that? Always. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And don't beat yourself up if you're asking for help. Yeah. Right? Because you cannot build resilience by yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you need to ask for help to build for resilience. Yeah. It's not a soul thing. Right. Yeah, there's not such a thing of self-made, right? We always, uh, you know, thrive on, you know, corporations, you know, relationships. That's and, right. Coaches, you know, okay. mentors, yeah, parents. Yeah, that is part of your... Community. You know, looking after yourself and, mm-hmm. you know, growing and, and, and eventually giving back. That's right. Yeah. It's a circle, yeah. isn't it? And honestly, how often do we hear of someone who's 
been caring for someone else for a long time and they end up passing away before the person who's sick does because they've just got so stressed and burned out. Um, because they haven't asked for help. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they haven't asked for help, because they haven't um, employed, you know, that, the self-care stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't be a martyr. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get you <laughs> absolutely anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Because who's going to look after you when you're down the bottom then? I mean, there's a um, another thing, you know, treat yourself as a god or a goddess. And where are you on the ladder of life? Are you down the bottom or are you up the top that you can then help everyone else under there? So, you know, pull everyone else up. But you can't do that unless you're looking up to yourself. That's right. And, you know, there are so many wonderful services to be able to get help as a carer now too. And, um, you know, Giovanni and... Giselle, you know, very good with that kind of thing and, and knowing being service providers themselves where to go for help. And so if that's something that's helpful for you, um, you know, contact them for sure. But, um, Justine, you know, with that whole thing of becoming a carer, you know, it's a big life transition, mm-hmm. right? There's so much unknown about it because everyone's situation is different. What would you say for carers that are entering into that unknown and that time of transition besides self-care what are some ways that they can navigate that not just with physical things they're doing but also in their mindset i would definitely get some counseling um counseling is very prevalent um in their life because it is a big change um joining other groups um networking with other people so whether it's online and there's plenty of support groups online nowadays or going into the community and finding um, a group of, say you're a carer for someone with cancer, there are support groups out there for people um, who are looking after people with cancer or MS or whatever the, the person is that you're, you're caring for. Um, so you're not alone, so you're not doing it. So you can hear how other people are actually dealing with the situation that, you know, you might be similarly um, dealing with as well. Yeah. And what, what does that do to you by, you know, talking to a group of people that are going through the same... You build a tribe. Build a tribe. Building that tribe yeah. so you're not alone. Mm. So you're not walk, walking that journey by yourself. And so when you're, when you're down and you're in the dumps and you're frustrated, you've got someone that understands what you're going through that you can vent to and, you know, you might just mm. pick up the phone and call that support person or that connection that you've made and it's like, you know, it's such and such, they've just done this and I don't know what to do and they're like, it's okay, I understand if you tried doing this. You know, it gives you some suggestions and that Mm -hmm. it's like, I haven't thought about that. You know, go for a walk, calm down, it's okay, everything's going to be all right. Um, But don't try and do it all yourself. Well, back to what we were saying before, right? We're not self-made. It's no. uh, it's so critically important. It is, you know, to you know, yep. reaching for help again is a sign of strength. Yeah, it's such a good uh, good phrase. Yeah, so nicely put. And I think being honest about that too, because sometimes when a change or a trauma is hit us, we actually just need a soft place to land. Sometimes yeah. we just need someone to listen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and having those people, that tribe, that circle is um, super, super important. And someone can understand you mm. because they've been there themselves, right? So you build that uh, yeah. tribe and that... Uh, and trust. Yeah, and trust. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
And Justine, you're a writer and publisher. Yes. So how about um, journaling or, like, can we talk about the power yeah. of writing things down for yeah. carers or, you know, Definitely. support people? Like, what are your thoughts around that or any tips? I think that that's you- amazing, amazing thing to do and I do that quite often because writing it down gets it out of your head and you don't have to carry it anymore. Yeah. Um, getting all those thoughts down. I sleep with um, a pad of paper and a pen beside the bed because, you know, when you can't sleep and things are going around in your head at 2am in the morning, just write them down. Get them out. Put them on paper. Would it help you then get get more sleep? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. that to me too. Works for you too, yeah, because you're carrying it all in there all the time. Yeah, yeah. Especially carers who are, you know, they need to make appointments for a loved one and they've mm. got their own appointments mm. and sometimes we talk about the sandwich generation that's perhaps people who are looking after um a maybe a mum mum or dad but they've yep. also got kids themselves that mm. they need to look after so um keeping a, a diary going, yeah a lot going on. yeah well, i've been uh, journaling on my journal since 2009 and mm. you know since i came to australia even before that and you know all my challenges all my you know even negative thoughts yeah all yeah. this uh, ne- negativity and, and you know rejections all of that right, writing it down you know really helped me you know uh, put, put put a little bit more context to it and mm. uh, make make it more real so you can see them on paper and then you know how to solve it and also once you, once you pinpoint what it is that, that bothers you it's also really good if you are seeing a counsellor if you're journaling because quite often when you walk into a counsellor door, I mean, I've been seeing a counsellor since 2012 and I go every two to three weeks because I don't believe that it's my family or my friend's responsibility to hear me vent. I pay someone to do that. I go in there, I vent away to her, I walk out feeling so much lighter. <laughs> uh, and I still have my good relationships with my family and my friends that they don't need to hear all of that stuff. And um, sometimes when I, you know, when I was going in there in the early days, I'd forget what I want to talk to her about. So by journaling it down and writing it all down, I have a list now that I go in there, what's happened over the two or three weeks. I'm like, right, I need to talk to you about this, this, this and this. And that really helps. By journaling things down and writing things down as well, when you're then accompanying the person that you're caring with going to medical appointments, You've got reference that you can go back in and say, well, these are the changes that I've noticed with, you know, Joe Blow who I'm caring for rather than relying on your memory all the time because you won't remember it. But even changes on yourself that you've gone through where you overcome those challenges and and see where you're coming from to see where you you are right now. It makes you feel better that you know you've grown as a person. And if you ever want to write a book down the track, you know, you can contact yeah. me and oh, you've got of... reference and material. You've got your notes. That's right. That yeah. And I think, Demi, we talked last time about um, naming your feelings and how important yeah. it is because then you can act, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like you can actually do something about it if you know how to, you, you know what it is yeah. that you're feeling. Exactly. So I think that's an important thing too, yeah. to be able to do. And I think even just hearing all of you now and, and pulling all of those principles together, something I do with my clients a lot when I'm counselling, um, is just that what Justine said, like the value of coming to a counsellor is that you get that opportunity to vent, but it's in a safe space. Mm-hmm. Other relationships aren't impacted, mm-hmm. but you've also got that safe place and that soft place Trust. to land. And so on the topic of like pens and getting things out, I found these pens called friction pens. 
we are not paid by pilot pens, just a disclaimer. <laughs> um, but all, they're all different colours and they actually rub out. You can get highlights oh, and the pens, yeah. right? And so if you're trying to sort thoughts and you're colour coding them, it does incredible things to your wow. brain. Oh, you've sorting out. And so just a brain dump about, you know, look, I'm really struggling with this. And then, like you said, exploring the feeling. Well, what is it about that feeling that is triggering me? And quite often if something's hysterical. In other words, if it's caused a trigger or a reaction, it's because it's historical. It's usually connected to something mm. in your past. And especially when you've got traumas or multiple traumas, um, Justine and, you yeah. know, in my life, you know, same sort of deal, not to the degree and, you know, certainly different things to yeah. you. But, um, you know, I don't know, there's a certain way that the same buttons t- tend to get triggered. There's often like a root yeah. where if you dig back far enough, you'll find where that original, I guess, core belief, core belief yeah. is, is there and was instilled and sometimes way back in your childhood. But if you can work your way back to that and then when you're triggered, you realise why, mm. the mindset um, and what you choose to think and how you choose to respond, because we can't control everything that happens to us, but we can choose how we respond. That's exactly right. And I think that's a big core thing in, in dealing with some of this. And, and just saying, you know, even just hearing you talk before about your methodology and, and everything you've been through and even... You know, you put out on social media and told us today just come out of surgery. Yeah, yes, you are sitting here. I mean, <laughs> the epitome of resilience. Yes. <laughs> but another word that I love and that you have just shown continually in your journey, and even right now after surgery, sitting in this chair because you want to come in and help all these carers, is grit. Yeah, I've got a new word for you, and I'll yeah. probably list it on here because um, it is coming through in my business, and that's well, moxie. This is a first. It is a first. This is a first. Moxie. moxie. So that's my new word. You can't all pinch it. <laughs> moxie, and uh, the moxie method is coming out. We're bringing it out this year, so there's a first for you. Um, and moxie means grit, determination, resilience. Um, all of it built into one, and that's me, Moxie, and that's actually the title of my new book. Wow, I heard it here first. It's yeah. amazing. Is it coming out soon? Or? And I finished writing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, got, I've probably got about 10 chapters to go. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm writing it and then pivotal moments that have been in my life that have shaped my life. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I'll be writing a chapter and I, I showed my writing coach the other day and she's like, why did you do that? Not everyone does that. What? I can't tell you the actual thing. You'll have to read the book. She goes, that's a chapter in itself. And I'm like, oh, another chapter. <laughs> and so every chapter I write, another chapter comes from that. So maybe there'll be part one and, you know, then there'll be another series. book in there. Series. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. But, um, yeah, it is, it is looking at those beliefs and going, just because that's the way that it has been done in my past doesn't mean that's the way that I have to continue to mm-hmm. do it into my future. And looking at it and going, okay, who can I trust? Who can I employ into my life in order to change the way that I react? And that was the thing with um, uh, when my arm got broken um, and the men that I was attracting into my life and the failed relationships. And it's like, what's the one 
thing that is linked with all these failed relationships. Me. So I've got to change. I'm the one that has to change. It's not the men that have to change. It's me that has to change in order to stop attracting the wrong people into my life. So it was going right back. Even though I'd been in therapy for years, it was still, okay, let's, let's go right back and strip it all back. What do I need to actually do? And it's recognising these behaviours in our life, how you deal with trauma, how you are dealing with... Um, especially if you're caring for a parent, all of a sudden there's that role reversal. You know, I was a teenager being a parent to my parent. Um, It's extremely difficult. How do you deal with those role reversals? And it's like an onion really, isn't it? There's layers. One layer at a time. Yeah. I want to ask you a question because of what you said before is it's important that you dig to find out what is really the issue there. But how does one do that? Like how, like where do you stop? Where do you, yeah. how do you know that you've you've hit it, you've gotten it? Yeah. Look, I think there's lots of ways to do that and there are dangerous ways and safe yeah. ways to do that. I, my first disclaimer would be get a therapist. Yeah, um, a good therapist. A good one, yeah. And make sure you do. Make sure it's someone you gel with. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of different ways of doing that. One technique that I use um, that I sort of developed was a, a timeline. So basically having a line on a piece of paper. I've got worksheets for this, but obviously you can do it yourself, but there's just a line and you start from the day you were born and sometimes even before um, through to now. And then at the top of the line, for every um, positive event that's happened in your life or every highlight, you draw a line up to a count of 10 Okay, so 10 being this was absolutely awesome, fantastic, best experience. You might have something else that was good, but it was two, you know, Mm -hmm. defining moments in your life. And then at the bottom on the timeline, same deal, but the most devastating, the most, you know, or anything that affected you, whether that was being bullied at school or being abused or, you know, a failed marriage or whatever that looks like. And then what you end up seeing with that is when you take each of those points and you you look at, you know, what did that make me um, or cause me to feel? What did that cause me to believe about myself that was maybe true or not true? What patterns or behaviours did I Mm -hmm. institute because of that? You know, did I self-medicate with drugs? Did I, you know, think I was useless? Did I believe that all men were feral, you know, whatever that looked like. And then when you analyse that, you start to see patterns with certain things. Of behaviour. Patterns of behaviour, patterns of particular feelings. So if you're someone who maybe has a lot of rejection issues, you'll be able to then pinpoint it back to certain times and know why you maybe have a sensitivity to that or why you don't have boundaries with somebody. And so I think in a caring situation too, that's really important to recognise about ourselves because sometimes even caring for a person, you know, if they're not feeling well and they're being a bit difficult or, you know, it's a family relationship, mm-hmm. um, that there can be triggers there that can actually help you to manage better for yourself if that's triggering stuff in you or learning more about yourself. And I think with change and transition, you know, having that unknown can be scary and something that causes anxiety. But if we do a mind switch, it can also be a great adventure. 
And that might sound strange when you're talking about how can you have a good adventure or a great adventure when you're in this horrible situation of, you know, caring for someone who's sick or watching a loved one pass away or having all of that stress, but it's an opportunity to discover yourself and maybe even sometimes find yourself for the first time. I think you also have to recognise, like in my case, um, I got to the point where I realised that I could no longer give my mum the care that she actually yeah. needed. And it was probably one of the hardest decisions that I've had to make. I was 22 with a newborn baby, a single mum, um, on I could not give her the care that she needed anymore. And I carried guilt for years on thinking that I'd failed her mm. when, in fact, I'd given her the best opportunity still in life by putting her into care. Yeah. And, there, you know, there are those big tough decisions that you have to make as a carer mm. um, in the role reversals. And then she made me feel absolutely like crap every time I went to visit her. Yeah. And then when she passed away um, about four or five years later, at her funeral, um people got up and spoke about how much fun she was and how jovial she was at the home. And we're like, what? That is not what she did to us at all. But then... What did you feel in that moment? I was angry. I was really, really angry for a long time. But then I thought... That was just her way of coping with us, um, but it was nice. It was a comfort now to know when I, you know, look back going, she was happy there. Yeah. yeah. She was happy there. She'd made a home there and she'd made friends there um, from it, but it was hard going um, at the time. So, and she, so she effectively had these, whether you want to say these two personalities or two separate lives but what we didn't realize at the time was that she had ms dementia oh wow we didn't even know there was such a thing i didn't even know up until six months ago that there was a thing called and i had ms that there was a thing called ms so do you think her behaviors then was linked to that condition 100 percent. the behavior towards the family members 100 percent. yeah i've got a girlfriend whose mum is exactly the same so if you you knew this back then how would that it would have made a huge difference if we'd had the knowledge of it. But, you know, we're going back yeah. 30 years ago and things were different back then. Imagine, and this is just a belief, a fact, but imagine if we live our life with the right beliefs that are actually empowering us yeah. and yeah. as a result make us behave the best possible way That's right. to be the best possible yeah. person we can be by changing a simple yeah. fact. Yeah. What if... By them, I assumed that actually it wasn't my mom's behavior, but it was actually a condition. The MS behavior. I, yeah. I would have, you know, would have made a huge difference. Huge, hundred percent. You know, I'm yeah. loving these conversations. I'm like, yeah, very, very powerful stuff. Yeah. I think and, that's an awesome point, Geo. And like, you know, even for you, Justine, you know, six months ago, as recent as six months ago, you find out about this condition, and you know, you're putting two and two together. Yeah. I mean, there must have been some pretty huge healing for you in that moment. Huge amount of healing. Straight back to the counsellor. Yeah. (laughs) Straight back, yeah. And that all came about because I compiled a book of people with MS around the country called Whispers of Resilience and um, one of the authors in there who I've been, she's gone on to write her memoir, 90,000 words in seven weeks, 
phenomenal and because I've had to proofread it all and I've read through it and there's a chapter about her mum and I'm like, hang on, her story's like nearly parallel to my story and I'm like, how did I not know about this? Why is this not being discussed? And Because my mum wouldn't let me go into her doctor's appointment. Mm-hmm. Used to have to sit outside in the waiting room. So she kept that all secret as well from us, from the whole family. And um, it, it just, there was, there's been relief mm-hmm. there as well, knowing, okay, well, now I know why she was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know why she was so bitter mm-hmm. and angry. And that it wasn't her, that wasn't mm-hmm. the mum that we had 10 years earlier. I feel like I'm going through exactly the same thing with my father. Yeah. We spoke about your dad. Yeah, yeah, I had to fly to Italy just overnight. Uh, my father, you know, all of a sudden became, it, it was the full-time care for my mom. And then all of a sudden they found him a duodenal tumor in his intestine. And, and then my father himself needed care. So mm-hmm. I had to fly there and, and try to sort things out and help them out as much as I could. And yeah, yeah, even, even yeah, just um, the, the, the whole thing was very overwhelming, but um Again, back to, uh, you know, the, the tools that you need to deal with difficult situations, really, you know, having some, having clarity, you know, uh, all, all about having a, you know, a, um, a mindset that helps you mm-hmm. taking the necessary steps that are right mm-hmm. for, for your family and for the situation that you're facing. And support. And, and absolutely yeah. seeking the support. So I researched, didn't have any idea what was what support we had in Italy, because obviously mm-hmm. I've been living here for the last uh, what is it, thir- 13 years and you know I'm from the industry but uh, in Italy it's a whole different. Di- different story right so I had to navigate all of that and um, it and yeah and, and, and my father as well you know always uh, you know kind of very angry and resentful and, and almost uh, in, in denial that he needed help that my mom needed help uh, navigating all of that um, yeah, what he would feel like he failed your mum? 100%. Yeah. yeah, then he sees me stepping in and, and, and trying Role to... Role reversal. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, what, what is he doing now? You know, I, I want to be in control of this and and he wouldn't let go. And it's, uh, yeah, very, very hard to deal with all of that. Yeah. It's a very common thing. Yeah. I mean, the resistance and people not wanting to say, yeah, I need the help. Well, they feel they're losing their independence and, you know, slipping down and I totally get that. Yeah. Totally get that. But, you know, like I said, asking for help is a sign of strength. Yeah. Because when you ask for help, you will recover quickly in a lot lot more cases. Um, You know, you may not get back to what your normal was, but you'll get back to a normal, what your new normal will be, a lot faster than if you try and do it yourself. Mm, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. What are some of the misconceptions to resilience? That. <laughs> what we just spoke about. Um, how fast you... Like, people think resilience is, oh, you bounce back straight away. And it's not. It's having the coping mechanisms put in place that you can bounce back and not stay down the bottom for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone says to me, oh, you're so positive and, you know, positivity porn and all that. And I'm like, no, you should see me on my bad days. But they're a bad day. They're not a bad week, month, year, decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
right? So I now have strategies in place that I recognise. I've not been on antidepressants now since 2000, end of 2011, because I know, I I recognise the signs of when my body starts slipping down that dark hole. And I know what strategies I need to put in place. A, back to the counsellor. I surround myself with positive people. We are the sum of the five people that we hang around. So I'm making sure that my tribe is positive um, on there. I control the fuel that's going into my mind. So um, social media can be very, very toxic. Um, I've got people... If you let it, I've got people on my social media that their values don't align with my values. I'm still friends with them, but there's a little button that says unfollow. They don't know that I'm not following them. I'm not telling you who they are. (laughs) Occasionally I'll pop onto their timeline and, you know, I'll like a post here and there and um, go, yep, they haven't changed their values and I'll pop back out again. Um, But I'm controlling what I'm actually seeing. I don't very rarely watch the news. Again, I'm controlling my what goes in the fuel into my mind. Um, Even music. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, videos, music videos. I'm very careful of what I watch. Um, Movies. If I start watching a movie and it starts making me feel ick, it's like I'm not going to watch the end of this. I don't need to watch the end of this. Um, I watch lots of comedy. Laughter is really good. So, you know, having all those strategies, hobbies, we all learnt through COVID when COVID first hit that if you didn't have a a, a hobby, you were stuffed. It was only so much TV that someone could watch, right? And so having um, a creative output really helps with resilience, that you can then focus on something else. So whether it's journaling, writing a book, gardening, container gardening if you haven't got a big uh, garden, Um, creating art, crocheting, knitting, crosswords, whatever it is to stimulate your mind. And when you're stimulating your mind, you're actually helping ward off dementia. You're you're exercising your brain. You're not just sitting stable with it. So um, when I'm facing... um, an adversity, which happens quite often, um, I go to one of those hobbies. I go to one of, you know, those core strategies that I've now got in place and it helps bounce back a lot faster. What do you think about pit stops? So, like, as you said before about, you know, you might have a bad day but not a week, month, year. Yep. Like, recently I had this horrible bad day and I don't, I probably have a pyjama day maybe twice a year. That's yeah. kind of a boundary with myself. But I'll have a day where I switch off. So I, I came in the door. It was still quite early. It was like maybe 9.30. And I thought, oh, I've had enough today. I'm just at burnout level. I got in my pyjamas. I jumped into bed with a bag of chips and a bowl of ice cream. And my son came in and said, Mum, can you make me breakfast? And I said, mate, you're 16. You're old enough to do it yourself. I'm having some time out. And I put on Virgin River and I binged on Virgin River ice cream chips before lunchtime and then I had a sleep. And you feel good after you. You know, I think those little pit stops too. Yeah. Like give yourself permission to stop. Yeah. 
you know, the world's going to keep spinning. Yeah. Your problem yeah. might still be there tomorrow, but at mm. least you can just... Mine was Uber Eats be. last night. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, I got out of theatre yesterday afternoon and then... Um, uh, my daughter was supposed to come over and care for me last night, but she had a sick child and I've got a very low immune system. I'm like, you just stay over there, keep your yeah. phone on loud all night. If I need you, yeah. you're five minutes away, I'm going to call you. As it is, I didn't sleep anyway. And then I'm like, I really can't cook. And I made a vow when I came back from Europe at the end of November that I wasn't going to order Uber Eats. I was ordering <laughs> it way too much and my weight was escalating, so that was a boundary I put in place. And then last night, I have a comfort food which when I recognize that is Chinese Asian food which goes back to when I was a child it's the last meal I can remember my mum my dad my brother and I ever eating um, before my parents divorced and so I know that when I need a hug I'll go for Asian food and so last night I was you know sitting there in a bit of self-pity and pain and I'm like I need pork belly (laughs) <laughs> so and BK came back the best pork belly so we a pork belly and I'm like I'm going to order Uber Eats bugger it so I did and I'm sitting there eating watching suits eating my pork belly and I'm like yep this is self care to the maximum <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> not going to order it again tonight I can assure you with the amount of uh, calories that were in it but um did you have leftovers for breakfast no I ate the whole <laughs> container last night <laughs> You did it right. I did it right, yeah. Uh, there was no rice or anything either. It was just a container of pork belly. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, definitely. If if your body's screaming, your mind's screaming to do that, whatever that action is, you do it. Try to break that pattern. Yeah, that's self-care. Yes. 101. Yeah. 100%. Have a list, like seriously. Yeah. Get out your rubby out pens and yep. make a list or get on your Have computer. it in your journal, have yep. it somewhere. I know yep. people are even, like, they'll write their lists of, like, hobbies, things that make them laugh, yep. you know, whatever that happens mm. to be. They cut them up, yep. screw them up, chuck them in a jar right. and then do a lucky dip. Because when you're in that mindset as well, you can't think clearly either. So by having it pre-done, it takes the thinking out of it. Comes more automatic. Just I want to ask this question: When adversity hits, can you can you step us through your um, your thought patterns? Like, what, what what do you believe in those moments to help yourself getting out of it as soon as possible and and move towards a solution? Well, I can't swear on here. <laughs> but normally there's a few uh, profanities that come out of my, my mouth straight away. That's number one. That's loud as possible. Yes, bit of a scream as well. And then we go again, <laughs> oh, my God, again. Uh, normally have a talk to the big fella upstairs going, all right, what's the lesson in this one that you're going to teach me? I'll do the sound effects. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And then go, okay, what's the course of action? So I'm very proactive, all right, how are we going to deal? And I say we, um, how are we going to deal with this? Um, When's my next doctor's visit? When's it booked in? What's the treatment options? And being very, very proactive and and not just sitting there going, rocking in the corner going, oh, poor me, oh, why me kind of thing. I'm now very proactive in any adversity that I 
actually faced. Um, they're just normally picking up a phone and ringing the core people in my life mm-hmm. before they see it on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll, you know, ringing my children and my auntie and my best friend mm-hmm. um, and then popping it on socials because if mm-hmm. something happens or someone sees me because I have such a a big social following and I'm authentic in everything that I do, um, there's no surprises. So Mm. it is sharing it out there. It's like, okay, guys, this has gone wrong now Um, or I've got to have another surgery or whatever it is. Um, And then I make a plan of attack. Okay, well, all right, I've got to have surgery on this date or I've got to have treatment for this. How are we going to fit the businesses around this? What time do I have? What time off do I need to have for this? And get strategic with it all. So I have more of a strategic mind about it all more than a real emotional mind about it nowadays. I don't dwell in the emotional side of it, but that's my coping mechanism now for it. And have you as adapted well. that yes. mechanism as like were you different? Say. 12, 13 years ago when I was diagnosed with EMS, it was totally different. And I I was on a pity party for, a, you know, a long time because, you know, I was diagnosed with a disease that my mum, an incurable disease that my mum passed away from complications from at the age of 49. And we were told for nearly, you know, my whole entire life that I would never get it, that it wasn't hereditary. Yet here I was being diagnosed nine years, I had nine years left in my brain. You know, I was 40, mum was 49. My God, I've got nine years left. And my brother went off to the army. Um, My son went off to the army. It was history repeating itself. And then my dad left my mum and my fiancé walked out on me saying me having a mess would affect his goals and dreams. So, And then left us with no money. We lived on food banks. And a distant cousin turned around and said to me, I'll get off your pity party. Where, in fact, I wasn't on a pity party. I was actually grieving. (laughs) I was grieving for the relationship that I thought I had with him because he'd shattered my what little dreams I had left when I told I was never going to be able to work again. We were under contract to buy a house. It was just such a mess. I had no money to feed a 15-year-old. We're living on $200 a week. That was it. That was family tax benefit Mm. A and B. And it's like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I've got no purpose. I've got nothing. And there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of swearing. Um, There were a lot of mornings I didn't want to wake up. Um, And the only thing that got me out of bed every day was that I was still a parent and I still had to take her to school. And I take her to school and I spoke to no one then for the next six hours until I went back and picked her up. And art got me through it. So I started creating and I started painting and then I joined art groups. um, I joined a community centre where I was the youngest by about 25, 30 years because everyone my age was um, at work. And people who were 40, 41 are at work and then I joined the MS social support day program which doesn't run anymore unfortunately but um and I did four hours of art there a week as well and then started entering exhibitions because people kept saying oh your art's really good 
um, can we buy some? And then I entered an able-bodied exhibition and sold my first piece for $300 and then that changed everything. That changed my mindset overnight in I can still contribute to society. I still have some purpose in life. So when you lose your purpose, that's when you're in real dire straits. It was a session number one, by the way. Yeah, but isn't that interesting too that often our pain leads to our passion, which leads to our purpose. It's the pivot that just puts it off on another. Prior to being diagnosed, I thought I was in my dream job, in my dream relationship and living my dream life. I wasn't in any of it. So now, you know, I'm happily single. I'm the healthiest I've ever been, which when I tell people that, they're like, what? With everything that's wrong with you? Because I control the food that I'm eating. I'm as healthy as I ever could be, I weight train three days a week. I compete, still compete in weightlifting and strongman events and win titles in that, even as a disabled athlete. Um, my mental health is on point. There's no pity parties. Um, and I'm helping thousands of people around the world. You know, what's not to, to love? You know, winning Geelong Business Leader year of the Year last year, going from like here to here, it's been a phenomenal journey Um, and it's only going to keep going. Do you know what I just noticed, though, when you were talking about that? That around the 13-year mark and when you had that pivot was also when you came off the antidepressants. So that's how powerful the mindset stuff has been in your journey. Yeah. That, you know, all of these things that you've... Just been able to continue to do and more and more, like seven yes. businesses, getting yeah. awards, living your best life. And each adversity that I've had, a business has come from oh. it, or something you've used it. positive has yeah. come out of every adversity that I have faced yeah. from it. You know, I go out as a, a keynote, international keynote, telling my story, and when I share of you know all the adversities that I've faced. It touches every single person in the audience because there isn't something that someone hasn't faced in there. And I strongly believe that by me having everything that has gone wrong is to use my story as someone else's survival guide on there and to help and to show that anything still is possible despite what you're actually facing. And and it takes the centre then off me. I'm just the deliverer of the message. Um, although it's about my life and everything, I'm just the one that delivers the message and helps, you know, people through resilience, transformation, moxie, coaching, um, art wellness classes for people with disabilities, Morpheus writing classes for people that want to write their stories, um, want to publish their their stories or poetry. Oh, you know, I've got one client at the moment. She can't move from the neck down, mm-hmm. but she's just written a book of poetry. We're publishing oh, nice. that in July. Yeah. So to to give that to people mm-hmm. and the opportunities that I've been able to give to other people. Wow. Yeah. Well, I say wow. Yeah. I just experienced a masterclass in resilience. I know. <laughs> yeah. This is going to go viral, I think. You know, uh, please share this story, everyone that you're listening. 
because that's one of the most powerful stories I ever come across in my life. And I generally say that. Yeah, amazing. So touching. It's uh, incredible. Thank you're you. such an inspiration. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you certainly are shining through. Thank you. Mm. It's amazing. Thanks what for having me on. Achieved. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Mm, and thanks for being real. Thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability in all of that, Justine, because... Authentic, authentic is what I live by because there needs to be more authenticity in this world. It's less energy to be authentic than to try and live two separate lives. It is, and you've certainly done that today, so thank you. You're welcome. Amazing. And I might just add as well that our first um, episode was on finding your why. So I think that's a it's a really good link with what we ended on at the with your discussion as well. And so if anyone wants to watch that or listen that, you can find um, find that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that purpose is so you know having a purpose in life. It, um, it it's it's a driving force. Yeah. It, it's, it certainly is. What, what a way to end our, uh, our second session here, this time live, well and truly. It's Wednesday 28, 2.30 almost. <laughs> uh, well, it's, uh, it's a wrap. I think, uh, thank you so much, uh, Justin, for uh, being here with us. Uh, thank you, Daniel and Giselle here. It's been a great, uh, great session. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks, all. Right. See you next time.